Oh, one more thing. Um, we did a message uh, right before Christmas um, called Jesus Destroys Darkness, Despair, and Depression. Um, unfortunately, because of technical difficulties, we were not able to record that and podcast it. But the manuscript is now on the website. Ryan was able to get it. So if you need that, if somebody you love needs that, um, God has a lot of great truth there and used it um, powerfully in some, some hurting lives. So if you go to the homepage, it will scroll um, to, I think, three panels. One of them gives you an opportunity to click there and, and print up and, or read that manuscript. Um, use it. Share it for God's glory and, and people's blessings. So, okay, if you have a Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't and you'd like to use one this morning, look under one of the seats in front of you or on your app or wherever you'd like to uh, do that. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like to own a Bible, any of the ones you find around here um, underneath the seats, take one. It's yours free to keep. Um, also, we have some supplemental materials during the gospel experiment. We encourage you to pick one up. If you, if you haven't been following along, take one. Try it out. It's great. Also, a reading plan. If you haven't been, don't beat yourself up. Just join us in it. The gospel experiment is basically this experiment is try this and see what happens. So we're trying the gospel in each of its facets, and we're going to see what happens. And as Ryan often prays, show up and show off God, and he has. During the gospel experiment, we've completed three weeks. Eight people have come to faith in Christ in three weeks. Praise God. Praise God. That's why we're here. That's what he's about. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. And when then we grow up in the faith and we go out and we see him set other people free, it's beautiful. Great. Um, each week, as I said, we're looking at the heart of, of Jesus, um, another aspect of the gospel, and we're responding to it. So this morning is no exception. And each of these first weeks, we've been basing a part of it on John 3.16. So rather than turn there in your Bibles, Ryan's going to bring it up. And as we've done in the previous weeks of the gospel experiment, I'd ask you to sit up, clear your throats, and say it with me, read it with me like you mean it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes! That's good news. Now we started out with the loving gospel. For God so loved the world. And that was the loving gospel. And then we went to the generous gospel that he gave. That he gave who? His only son as our perfect blood sacrifice. And that is the sacrificial gospel. And that's what we did last week. And this week, we're at that underlying part that whoever believes in him should not perish. Should not perish. Now, Where's mercy? Mercy isn't mentioned there. It's all over it. It's flooded with mercy. Now, the only ugly word in that whole passage is perish. And perish is the word we get like perishables, like, right? Milk and meat and fruit and things like that. What it means is ever-increasing death. If you want an example, leave your milk out on the counter. Ever-increasing death is happening there. Perishing is more than just death. It is ever-increasing death until it's swallowed up in ultimate death, soul-level death, spirit-level death. 
and separation from God, and that is indescribable suffering. You say, well, I'm separated from God now. It's not so bad. You're still receiving common grace from him. You know, you're going to find out more about that next week. But here's the good news. This is a great, great, joyful truth this whole morning. So I've been, I've been charged up about this since Sunday afternoon of last week. Jesus pulls apart, destroys perishing. He does. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't. And how does that happen? How does that happen? Through his mercy. Through his mercy. And that's what we're going to take a look at that this morning. Jesus destroys perishing through his mercy. Now, um, I want to get into mercy. I want you to get into mercy. But here's the dilemma. You have a history of leaving me hanging on stuff like this. Okay? So I want you to really buy into this and help me. Right? Now, there's words that go, not so fast. Watch me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sing it with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep going. Yeah, yeah. You got me begging you for mercy. Why won't you release me? You got me begging you for mercy. Why won't you release me? All right. Well done. I can hear Randy Jackson saying, okay, dog. <laughs> You're a little pitchy. You are not one of the top 24. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why does Duffy, who sings that rather well, <laughs> as opposed to what we just had, why is she so excited about mercy? Because it's an incredible, incredible, incredible thing. And that's why I'm so joyful this morning to share it with you. God's heart, Jesus' heart is full of mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving someone the bad that they deserve. Okay? Now, mercy is kind of... Grace is the flip side of the mercy coin, okay? Mercy is not giving someone the bad that they deserve. Grace is giving someone the blessing that they don't deserve. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? You guys know McBride? Picture it this way. McBride steals your car. Not too hard to imagine, is it? Right? And you catch him. Red-handed before he can part it out to his sketchy friends in Canyon City. And so mercy would be forgiving him, not turning him to, into the cops and taking your car back. Grace would be giving him your car. Okay, you getting it? But we're talking about mercy. You get grace next week. This is just too good. This is just too good. So we're looking at the merciful gospel. And Jesus shows mercy in so many ways. We're only going to look at, at two of them this morning. The first one is this. Jesus shows mercy by choosing people who have a past and I don't mean a good past, and are on a path of destruction, a path that eventually will bring their lives, their love, their heart to destruction, 
Okay? Now, we're going to pick it up, um, Matthew 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. If you're there, join us. Here we go. Now, Matthew is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing about his first encounter with Jesus Christ. So this is like autobiography stuff here, okay? Matthew in Matthew. Verse 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, rose, left his job, and followed Jesus. Okay, now, this should absolutely blow us away. This should blow us away. Why? What's the big deal? What's the dealio, as you say? The big deal is this, that to be a tax collector in the first century in this area was to be the ultimate colossal scumbag. It was. It was. Here's why. Tax collectors were local boys. They were Jews who, because uh, they were offered this opportunity, went to work for the oppressive occupying Roman government. So they're traitors, right? And what they would do is prepay the government for the people's taxes. Then the Roman government would authorize them to collect from the people as much as they wanted because the Roman government didn't care as long as they get their share, right? And they got their share, so the tax collectors would line their pockets with what they would collect from their former friends, from their family, from their community, from their neighbors, and keep the oppressive Roman government in power. So they were not simply traitors. They were extortioners, right? And so here Matthew is. He's driving a new BMW chariot every year while his people, who he's stealing from, are starving and scraping by. Everybody hated the tax collectors, their family, their friends that they had before they took the job, their neighbors, their community. Everybody hated them except for other tax collectors who got it, right? Oh, and except for Jesus. He didn't hate them either. He is gathering the 12 apostles, the men that he will pour his life into over the next three years, the men who will lead the early church, the men who will write the Bible. And he picks this guy whom the world views as a dirtbag. And if we're honest, somewhat rightfully so, right? Okay, verse 10. That's Jesus' mercy. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Okay, so what just happened? We were at the tax booth and now Jesus is at a dinner party. Well, Matthew, who is recording this account, is being very modest, okay? And we find out because there's a parallel passage in Luke's gospel in chapter 5 that says... He, he has two names, Matthew and Levi. I, I always remember that. You just picture Matthew wearing Levi's and, and you got it. So 
What Luke's gospel tells us is that Matthew, or Levi, is the very one who is throwing this party in his house. So what happens is Jesus chooses him who nobody would choose, right? Because of his past, because of the disruptive path that he's on. He is so overwhelmed and overjoyed by Jesus' mercy that it changes his heart. And the next best thing he can do is say, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to invite the only friends I got. Those are people whose lives are as wrecked as mine are. Mine is. My, my fellow tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is there with his disciples. Do you get that? Okay. So go throw parties for your friends so they can know how much Jesus loves them. Verse 11. And then the Pharisees saw this. Who are the Pharisees? These are the hyper-religious people. These are the moralist do-gooders who hate Jesus. When they saw this, they said to his disciples, because they don't have the guts to talk to Jesus about it, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Okay, what's not being said here is this. Why is Jesus, if he is God, not recognizing who we are as professional church people, as do-gooders, as the most morally upstanding people we've ever seen? Why is he making a big deal of eating with sinners? Now, I want you to take a look at the fact that the church from the very early days, unfortunately, through today, has a long history of rejecting the very people that Jesus cares most about. No amens, because that's us, right? Rejecting the very people that Jesus cares most about. That's what they're doing. And, and sometimes when we read passages like this, we have a tendency to culturally diminish the badness of the people that Jesus was seeking out, that he was calling out, that he was loving on and spending time with and setting free. So who would be those people today? How about like Bernie Madoff? You guys remember Bernie from the news? Now this is a couple of years in the development, right? Bernie was a New York investor who ran like a $5 billion Ponzi scheme to fleece Friends, family, other investors of their money. And he got extraordinarily rich and, and ruined, ruined some of them. Ruined some of them. Bernie would be the type of person Jesus was eating with. His heart was going out to. His mercy was expend, extended to. I think his name is Jared Lee Loeffner. He was in the news um, the beginning of this calendar year, beginning of January, he went to a supermarket in Tucson. There was a political outreach event, right? Remember? And he brought a gun. And he started shooting people. I believe he killed six of them. One was a judge. Another was a nine-year-old girl. And he injured, seriously, 16 others, including Representative Gabriel Giffords. Right? He is guilty. He is despised. He is sinful. He'd have been the type of person who was invited to that dinner. If we go on the celebrity front, right, we got a celebrity table there, right? Lindsay Lohan is there. I think she had her first DUI when she was six, right? She'd been racking them up ever since. 
She's had this addiction, that addiction, this problem, that problem, in and out of rehab. She volunteered for the Obama campaign to be a volunteer to help young people get out the vote. The Obama campaign responded, no, thank you. This is not the type of person that we want associated with our cause. Guess what? This is the type of person Jesus wants associated with his cause because he's all about setting people free and extending mercy. And maybe the worst thing Lindsay Lohan ever did was in 2005 when she unleashed on us Herbie Fully Loaded. Now, who else would be? Who else would be at the celebrity table? Lil Wayne, Amy Winehouse, you know, the naked cowboy guy, Charlie Sheen, whoever you got, right? And the church people say, why are you making such a big deal out of those people? Don't you know who we are? We're your friends. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. Pharisees saw this. They said to his disciples, what is your teacher doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire to extend mercy. I desire for you to extend mercy, not your religious obligations, not your religious habits. I desire people whose hearts are transformed with love that I'm extending mercy. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is not very PC of Jesus. Because it seems like he's being very exclusive. He is leaving people out. What do you mean? He does not want the well. He does not want the righteous. What's the problem? What's the problem with Jesus? He doesn't want the people who are well. He doesn't want the people who are righteous. Why not? Because there are none. There were none then. There are none now apart from God's mercy. There are two kinds of people in the world. Not good and bad. Not sick or healthy. There are those who are sick and know it. And then there are those who are sick and deny it. There are those who are in need of Jesus' mercy and know it. And then there are those who need Jesus' mercy and pretend that they don't. Those are the two. And each one of us falls into that category. Not good and bad. Sick and you know it or sick and you deny it. Needing Jesus' mercy and you know it. Needing Jesus' mercy and you deny it. All of us need Jesus' mercy. Now this is particularly hard for religious people as we've seen and particularly hard for men. And we'll look at that in a little bit. Now, if you're a religious man, this is really, really hard. But Jesus' grace is more powerful than that, and we'll see that. Okay, so Jesus shows us mercy the first way by choosing people, by choosing people who have a past, and people who are on a destructive path. Can you relate? Do you have a past? Jesus is choosing you this morning. Jesus is choosing you even if you've been rejected by everybody else, even if you've never been chosen. 
Jesus is choosing you. I could relate to this earlier in my life growing up. Um, I was huge. I was a huge kid. Not, not like buff like I am today. Huge, you know? And I didn't have any athletic ability. So the guys did not want me with them. And the girls did not want me with them. And I was not chosen. And that, those were not, by any means, the worst things about me. What was the worst thing about me was my heart that was closed off to God and bitter to the people who had rejected me. And I heard about a Savior who, who's choosing me. And that changed my life. And now what I want to do is let everybody know God chooses you. No matter your past, no matter your path, Jesus chooses you. Okay, what's the other way that we're going to look at that, that, that Jesus shows us mercy? If you'll flip to John 8, John 8. While you're turning there, I'll pause for refreshment. John chapter 8, another way Jesus shows us mercy is by forgiving people, pardoning people who were so obviously guilty and setting them free. The second way that we're looking at that Jesus shows his mercy is not just choosing people with a past on a destructive path, but forgiving and pardoning people who are obviously guilty and setting them free. Okay, I'm going to pick it up in the, in the last verse of chapter 7. Then they went each to his own house. There was a gathering. They went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, one of his favorite places. Early in the morning, he came to the temple. Apparently, Jesus attended the 9 o'clock service. You might want to try it. Just saying. <laughs> Just giving you a hard time. All the people came to him. Big crowd. Big crowd. He sat down and he taught them. Now, anytime there was a big crowd, the Pharisees, who were the religious rule-keeping, do-gooder, hating Jesus, they would show up and try to diss him, try to discredit him, try to embarrass him, try to show him up as a fool. This is no exception. That's what they're doing. Very public area at the, at the temple. Verse 3, here they are. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. That is, placing her in front of Jesus. I just want to pause here for a second. Just want to pause here for a second. The Pharisees see this opportunity to bring a woman who is caught in the act, think about this, of adultery and bring her before Jesus. Now they probably, they have no regard for the morally and, and spiritually broken. So she probably was yanked out of a bed and now is probably naked aside from a sheet or, or a blanket that she's been able to grab as they manhandle her and push her at the feet of Jesus. Here's the question for us. Here's a question for us. When you see somebody who is broken, somebody who falls, somebody who fails morally, do you get more excited about busting them 
as the Pharisees were, or that you now have an opportunity to show them mercy as Jesus has shown it to you. What do we get more excited about? Fixing the world because the world's problems are those people, right? Or every time somebody falls, there's an opportunity for us to extend and show them the mercy that Jesus Christ has shown us. The Pharisees were more excited about busting, right? Through her in the midst, what'd they say? Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Really? Verse 4. Really? Now, can you see the plot hatching? This woman just so happened to be sleeping with some guy, right? That night before, and they were able to grab her and take her to the place where they knew Jesus would be that morning. Can you see the plot? It might go something like this. Now, I know how we're going to get it. I know how we're going to get them. We need to get a woman to commit adultery and we'll grab her. And then we'll dr- Where's the guy? Where's the guy? Last time I checked, it took two people to commit adultery. I don't want to know if you have other ideas, okay? That's, just, that's beyond the scope of this message. Can you see them? Now, how are we going to make sure that all the time frames come together? I think one of us is going to have to volunteer to sleep with a loose woman and take one for the team. Can you see these guys, all the hands going up? You know, I'll sacrifice this. Where's the guy? Where's the guy? So here they are. This woman was caught in the act. I bet they all watched. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. To stone such a woman. They want to kill her. They want to kill her. Are you more interested in busting somebody and killing their spirit and killing their reputation or setting them free? What do you say? Verse 6. They said this to him to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him again and again and again, he stood up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now, hyper-cerebral Christians have often enjoyed debate and writing books and having discussions about what Jesus was writing on the dirt, in the sand, in the soil, right? Perhaps Jesus was writing a list of sins that he knew the Pharisees were guilty of. Perhaps Jesus is drawing a cartoon of the Pharisees in God on high with an enormous city-sized boulder about to throw it down on the Pharisees but missing Jesus and the woman. Really? Seriously? Here's the deal. If Jesus was interested in us knowing what he was writing in the dirt as the key to this passage, something tells me he'd have put it in the Bible. Maybe the important thing is that he was writing it on the dirt. He was writing it in the sand. Nothing that is written on the dirt or written in the sand is meant to be preserved. 
right? It's not going to last. Somebody goes by, a wind blows, it's gone. If you want it, if you want it to last, you carve it in stone. You don't write it in sand. I mean, God did not hand the Ten Commandments to Moses written on an etch sketch right? Here's what the Pharisees are wanting to do. This woman, she screwed up. Literally. Now, we want to carve her sin into stone, show it to the world, identify her with it. She is what she has done. She is the worst moment in her life. That's the sum total of who this person is. It's written here in stone, and then we're going to kill her with it. And Jesus is saying, no, she's not going to die today. She is not going to be identified with her worst and weakest moments. I am. I am. I will become the adulterer so that she can be declared righteous. And I will become all that sin for her and I will walk it to the cross and I will be the one who dies in her place as her substitute for her sins so that I can show her mercy and set her free. She will not be identified with this. I will. That's mercy. And you religious types whom I also love, just don't get it. Verse 9. This is weird. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. So those of you who are very familiar, you've heard this passage many times. This probably doesn't seem real weird to you. Now, they say it begins with the older ones, and we, we assume that that's because maybe they're wiser, right? Or maybe they just live longer. They've had more of a chance to, to build up an impressive pile of sinning, right? So they're more aware of their own humility, of their own shortcomings. So what do they do? They do what we think is probably the best outcome. They drop their rocks and start walking away. And others see that and think about themselves. And they drop their rocks and walk away. Is anybody struck by how weird that is? That's not the best outcome. But that was a choice of the religious people. The best outcome would have been for them to drop their rocks when they're convicted of the fact that they need mercy too drop their rocks and come and fall on their knees next to the woman at Jesus' feet and cry out for mercy. We need the same mercy we're denying this woman. Forgive us, restore us, make us your own, set us free from our self-righteousness. But religious people, religious people, and this is tough because it includes some of us, resist Repentance. Religious people who are rule keepers, score keepers, who think following Christ is morality. And that's how you gain God's approval. Those people resist repentance. 
If you want to clear out a church, you can do two things. One, you can set it on fire. Don't recommend that. Or two, you can take a group of longtime Christians and show them that the gospel shows us again and again and again that we need to continually repent, that we need to walk in repentance, that the, the best of us to the worst of us, all of us need to continually return to the cross, ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness. Religious people, when they hear that and are confronted with that, would rather drop their rocks and walk away then fall on their knees next to the one who they are more like than different and cry out for mercy. I've done it. Trust me. Religious people refuse and resist repentance, which Martin Luther rightly said, the Christian life is one of continual repentance. Why? Because the closer and closer you get to Christ, the farther and farther you realize you have to go. The closer and closer you get to the perfect one, the more you realize that you're not there yet. So we walk in continual repentance and continual joy. Why? Because there's continual mercy and encouragement and starting again. Here's a really beautiful part at the end of 9, 10, 11. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up, looked her in the face, and said to her, Woman, now, this is a term of great respect. This is the same word that Jesus used. The same, woman, this is the same form of address that Jesus used for his own mother at the wedding feast in Cana when she asked him, when she told him um, they were out of wine. He says, Woman, Oh, that's packed with respect and honor. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Rather than seeing this as an opportunity to imprison her, he uses this as an opportunity to extend mercy, to set her free from the prison and give her a new life, to transform her heart through mercy and give her a new future, one of following him. Okay. The woman received mercy from Jesus despite the fact that she was obviously guilty. That is who Mercy is for. He sets her free. And that's not fair. Mercy is not fair. Nobody deserves mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Right? The gospel is not fair. We looked at it a little bit last week, right? Praise God every day that the gospel and mercy and grace are not fair because Jesus is not interested in fair because fair is not what you and I need. What you and I need is to be rescued, to be forgiven, to be set free, to be let out in love and joy and forgiveness and freedom and life. I don't want fair. You shouldn't either. 
These two stories have three things in common. Number one, Jesus is having mercy on wrecked and broken people who know they're wrecked and broken. Number two, the sequence. Notice the sequence of both of these. Sorry, I'm having trouble with this. The sequence is this. Come as you are and receive mercy. Let my mercy transform your heart, which will then change your life. Not go clean up your life, then you'll be respectable enough to come to me. That's not the sequence. The sequence in both was they receive mercy. Mercy transforms their heart. And since everything we say, do, think comes from our heart, our actions are going to change. Don't wait till you stop drinking, stop partying, start, stop sleeping around, stop looking at porn, stop and then come to Jesus. No! Come now! Get mercy. Mercy will change your desires. Mercy will change your addictions. Mercy will change your life and set you free and, 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 and able to follow Jesus. Don't get the sequence wrong. Number three, the religious people in both stories are clueless. They miss the point. They miss Jesus. They look down on the very people Jesus is lifting up. And the church has a long history of continuing to do this Please forgive us. There's mercy for that too. So, we've got some responding to do. Either we're wrecked and we know we need to come to Jesus and be healed and set free by his mercy, you and I, we know it, or we've been waiting, we got the sequence wrong, we've been waiting to clean up our act, and then we're going to come get mercy, or then we're going to come, and, and, and no, that will never happen. You and I do not have the power to make a heart change. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. Or three, you don't think you're wrecked, you don't think you're sick, you don't think you're sinful, and you need to come to Jesus to be healed and set free of self-righteousness and receive his mercy. And that should cover just about all of us. You'll have a chance to respond in a bit. When a preacher says a bit, he means another page couple of takeaways. couple of takeaways. What are we supposed to do now that we understand more fully Jesus' heart that is full of mercy? How are we supposed to live differently? Number one, you can't be merciful and be a scorekeeper. You can't be merciful and be a scorekeeper. See, Jesus doesn't only want us to be recipients of mercy. This is true for anything he, and everything he pours into us. Love, forgiveness, mercy, grace. We're not just recipients. We become agents of it, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You can't be merciful and be a scorekeeper. You can't keep track of other people's sins and be merciful at the same time. If you find yourself mentally, physically cataloging how many times this person has messed up in this way, you can be darn sure you're not interested in extending mercy, but busting them. Number two, don't run away from Jesus when you messed up. Run to him. Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. I got a list. 
It's over 40 names long of people who are not pursuing God, who are not here anymore, who are not walking with Jesus anymore. Why? Because they've had a moral failure in their life, because they've messed up, and they think, well, I'm disqualified. No, you're not. You're more qualified, because he came for you. He came for me. The people who are prone to mess up again and again and again. But as we receive mercy again and again and again, it starts to change us so that we break those habits. We break those patterns. We don't break them first and then come back to God. Run to Jesus when you mess up, not away from him. Look at this. This verse is so good. Hebrews 4.16. Ryan, if you bring it up. Here, this is so good. This would be a great one to memorize. Hebrews 4.16. Now we got Shelby out there. Thank you, girl. Let us then with confidence, with zeal, run, sprint, draw near to the throne of grace. Guess who's sitting on the throne? Who is it? Always guess, Jesus. Your percentages are so high. Run, draw near to Jesus that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. You know what you're going to get when you get to him. Why would you hold back? with confidence, with zeal, sprint to him because you're going to receive mercy. You're going to receive pardon. Even if you're clearly guilty, especially if you're clearly guilty, even if no one chooses you, even if you've got a pass, especially if you've got to run. Why? Why is he so interested in calling and drawing people of sin? You, me who are wrecking our lives. Why? So he can beat us? No. So he can let us know that he took the beating. We did the crime. He did the time. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's why. He's not looking for people. He's looking for people who need mercy so that he could show them mercy. He's not like a state trooper. If you're a state trooper, God bless you. But you guys... Do we have any state troopers? Do we? Okay, let's talk. Okay. Um, like they like hiding out in the tall grass, right? So they can find you doing something wrong. So they can bust you and make you pay lots of money and your insurance goes up. And it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking. They are keeping the streets safe for you and your families. I know this is true. I know this is true, but Jesus is not a state trooper. He doesn't want to find you doing wrong so he can bust you and fine you. He wants to find you doing wrong so he can set you free and let you know he paid the ticket. Amen? Amen. He's not just trying to find us because we broke some random rule on a long list of do's and don'ts that he put together. No. Jesus is interested in setting us free, giving us forgiveness, and leading us out in joy. Sin keeps us from freedom, forgiveness, and joy. Every commandment of God, which is why he gives them to us, is to, are, are designed to lead us out into forgiveness, freedom, and joy. That's what he's into. Sin keeps us from forgiveness, freedom, and joy. Mercy sets us free. That's great news. Why is it tough to be a man? 
Two reasons. Guys, ladies, you'll, you'll get this. Because we hate going to the doctor. Right? God bless you, Jay. Where are you, buddy? I was looking at you. We just got a call. How great is this? Let's talk about him. No, I love Jay. But even though I do, I don't want to go to the doctor. Why? Why? Because here's how the man's mind works. If I don't go to the doctor, there's nothing wrong. Right? You start going to the doctor, that's when stuff starts being wrong with you. <laughs> Same reason men don't come to Jesus. You start going to Jesus, everything starts being wrong. You don't go, there's nothing wrong. But what if I started looking at the doctor rather than a way to find things that are wrong, but as the place of healing? What if I looked at coming to Jesus not as a place where I'm going to be beaten down, convicted, and condemned, but the place where I get set free? I get freedom and life and forgiveness and joy. I might come. Here's another reason, second reason, guys. We're prone to pride. Doesn't sound that bad until we realize that pride is the sin that made Satan, Satan. Pride says, I can do this myself. Pride says, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Pride, I just got to see if you're listening. Pride says, I am not into being weak I'm into being strong. Well, then repent and ask for mercy. Because the strongest person without Jesus is an utter weakling compared to the person who is strong enough to be weak before him and be empowered by his strength through his mercy. I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. You really into being strong? Good. Get weak. Then you can walk in the strength of the creator of the universe. The one who the very wind and waves obey. The one who at a, at a word is going to come back and set things right. That strength comes from the one who's willing to get past the pride, get broken, and say, I can't do this on my own. That's, you've never been stronger in that moment. Jesus would rather transform hearts through mercy than condemn broken people. How about you? Lack of mercy and grace, which we'll see next week, is the source of countless relationship problems in marriages, friendships, and families. We need mercy. Some people say, you start showing mercy. You start showing mercy, people are going to get away with murder. Jesus says, you start showing mercy, and people are going to be transformed in their hearts. And the only thing that's going to die is sin and the power that holds them captive. Are some people going to abuse that? 
Sure, look around. And there's mercy for that too. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. An incredible verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, the things we're talking about, never come to an end. They are what? Read it with me. New every morning. New every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. It's a good song. Well, it's a truth. They're new every morning. Why is this ocean of Jesus' mercy refilled every day, continually? Why? Because people like me and people like you need it every day. You need it new every morning. That includes this morning, later today, tomorrow, the day after, until you go home. There's enough mercy. There's more mercy than you have things to be sorry about and cry out for. There's much more mercy than you'll ever need. That's good news. You haven't run out. There is not a chance that you can't have a fresh start, a clean slate, a new life. There's more mercy to come. That's what he does. We all need mercy. Despite the popular song that gets me moving, that Pink sings, there are no perfect people. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect people in this church. But we serve a perfect Lord. We serve a perfect Lord. I often say we're a family of broken people whom Jesus loves recklessly. Recklessly. So here's the deal. If you're visiting here and your life is a train wreck, we are so glad you're here. You blend. Okay? If you have friends whose lives are train wrecks, I plead with you, bring them. This is the place for people who are wrecked and know it. This is not the place for people who are wrecked and don't know it. We love them too, but they're not going to like it. Because we can't get anywhere with Jesus until we realize that only he's perfect and only he can make us perfect through his cross. We're a family of broken people whom Jesus loves recklessly. You can say, not me. Really? I encourage you to stick around because it should be you. It really should be don't drop your rocks and walk away. Join us in dropping our rocks and running and falling at the feet of Jesus beside those who commit that very sin, whatever it is, that repulses you because we're more like them than different. We just have different symptoms of the same disease. And we need to go to the same healer. And the good news is, he doesn't turn away those who cry out for mercy, and there's enough. There's enough to cover us all. That's why the church exists, to go out and tell people, there's mercy for you, just like there is for me. So it doesn't matter what you're wrestling with, alcohol, drugs, sex, money, porn, um, relationships, greed, um, go on and on. You're the very people Jesus cared most about. Come, come. You blend. We're all going to Jesus because that's where mercy is. I'd like you to picture three things. We're going to close. In your mind, 
I'd like you to get a picture. Here's the first one. There's a courtroom where everybody who goes to this courtroom, everybody who appears before this judge, no matter what they've done, no matter how long the rap sheet, no matter how many times, if they come plead guilty before this judge, they are forgiven, pardoned, and set free. Can you get a picture of that? How many criminals do you think there are who would schedule to appear before this court and this judge? How many? All of them. They'd want to be set free, right? They'd want to be pardoned. Second picture. You know how at the end of a president's term, they can make like uh, executive pardons? Well, Obama's in, in office. Let's just say that he decides he wants to do it today. And he says, everybody who's in prison in the United States, minimum security uh, to max, maximum security. I am issuing an executive pardon. You are, your record is expunged. It's cleared. You're free to go. All the prison doors are going to be opened. Walk out. You're free. How many people would stay in the jail cell? Probably not a lot. Probably not a lot. Third picture, Jesus offering pardon, offering forgiveness, offering mercy. He is the judge who pardons. He is the president who gives the executive pardon, opens the prison doors, and says, come out to me out of your, out of your bondage, out of your captivity, Come out to life and forgiveness and freedom and life and love and a new start. As the prison doors are open, how many people do you think will stay in the prison? Most. Most. That's why we exist as a church. To go out and say, have you heard there's a pardon. If you'll just come, just come plead guilty. There's a pardon. The prison you're in, the door is open. Jesus opened it. Let's walk out together. It's the only way I'm free. If somebody was sleeping and disorder came through, wouldn't you go wake them up? Tell them, hey, look, we're free. There's a new life out there, there's a fresh start. There's a good news. That's why believers are allowed to live after they receive Christ. Because it would just be better for you. Let's just, I don't care how good your life is. Once you receive Christ, it would be better for us to be apart from the body, to flatline and be with him in glory forever. The reason you and I have another day, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you or you become one today, is so that we can go announce the good news, glorify him, tell of his mercy. It's the best. There's a price for mercy. It's not free. Somebody pays for it. The gospel is that Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it all. Jesus became our sin so that he could give us mercy take our punishment and condemnation on himself, on the cross, in our place, for our sins as our 
substitute. God bless you. Come receive mercy. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever throws themselves completely on him, believes in him deeply in their heart as their only hope for mercy and freedom and life and forgiveness and rescue, might receive mercy. Mercy is for those who believe in Jesus with all their hearts. We have um, a time of response. We're going to have lunch in a minute. If you have a past, Jesus is choosing you. Come home. If you're on a path of destruction, Jesus is choosing you. Come home. If you are obviously guilty, Jesus is extending mercy. Come home. If you're religious and you don't think you need it, or you've been a scorekeeper and you've been more concerned with busting people than setting them free, come home. There's mercy, and that's good news. Let's pray.